show, our, our space has been infiltrated, you could say. We've got a very, very special guest today, Tom Parashka of General Fanager. This is going to be, our full show is dedicated to General Fanager, probably a, a very small fraction of the time that we all dedicate through our daily lives to General Fanager. Um, we've got a lot of questions for you. It's the off season, and I think... Um, you know, we're, we're kind of filling that, 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 that void that no live hockey is left for us. So a lot of us are spending time on General Fanager just looking at, you know, teams and then the cap space and especially looking to Las Vegas as well, which we're going to talk to you about. But um, first things first, let's go back a bit. Uh, when did you start General Fanager? And, and was this something you kind of had your eyes on for a while? Yeah, so I started General Fanger in January of 2015, shortly after CapKeep went down. Um, I had been working on another website that was actually going to be mostly about goalie analytics. Um, and I was just kind of looking for something to, to sink my teeth into and kind of push me as a little bit of a motivation to learn a programming language I was working in. And then when CapKeep went down, I kind of saw that as a more interesting and something that, that was more in my ballpark. And I, I followed salary data for a long time. I use CapKeep every single day. So um, I saw that as an opportunity to kind of jump into something that would really motivate me and I'd have a lot of fun with. After ha I had kind of figured I was done with it and it wouldn't really go anywhere, it kind of just blew up without me really expecting it. So. Wait, you mentioned that you were using CapKeek every day. You were just using it as a fan or...? Yeah, so up until CapKeek went down, as a fan, I was using it all the time. Um, I had a couple of sort of email interactions with Matthew. Um, so I was, I was kind of like the super fans that I see using my site these days. Uh, I was that for CapKeek. And so when it went down, I started to kind of pull, uh, manually pull a lot of the salary data from CapKeek because I knew it, it, was, it was done. And uh, I didn't want that salary data to go, to go to waste. But at the same time, I wanted to kind of respect the work that Matthew had put into it. And so mm -hmm. I didn't want to automatically kind of scrape everything. So I actually went through with the help of my wife to kind of manually <laughs> scrape, every, manually kind of pull everything instead. I think I think the the operative word is fan and and it it leads to like my my key question I think with with uh, uh, Cap Geek General Fanager in general um, why this kind of thing is so popular and if you have a uh, an opinion about that because I mean from where I stand I think what is intriguing to me is ever since the 2005-06 season the way that fans evaluate players has completely changed it's it's simple to say but it's it's such a massive change that you know a, a player who makes just a little bit too much money it almost doesn't matter anymore that he scores 20 goals the fact that he makes 4.5 million against the cap is almost the the uh, the uh, a deal breaker for a team or a fan and or, or a player that say maybe is a little overvalued or or uh, um, or, or gets paid, you know, base minimum NHL salary, uh, you think, oh, well, that's a great deal because it's a low-risk move. Even though the player, 10 years prior, 20 years prior, you'd look at and say, well, that guy's not going to really help the team. How has has uh, evaluating players as a fan changed? And, and is that is that attached to why you think Cap Geek and General Fanager is, is so popular? Yeah, so as a, as a fan before the salary cap era, I mean, I was always still somewhat interested in, in how much a player was making. I think it 
you, you kind of understand that teams have budgets, and so you understand that what they're making is still relatively important, but it wasn't anywhere to the degree as now. Uh, a team that didn't really have a budget, maybe like the Leafs, it wouldn't really matter what they were paying someone as long as they got them. And I think that's what you saw before the salary cap era. But now every single move and transaction in the league is fueled by something to do with the salary cap. And uh, I, I honestly mean every single transaction, like every guy that gets sent down, every minor trade, some part of that has something to do with the salary cap. And so I think that fuels all the fan interest in it because fans want to know why these moves are happening. They want to know the sort of the nitty gritty of what that GM was thinking when he made that move or why can't my team acquire this guy or why can't my team go after that guy? It's because of the salary cap. And so I think that's why people have become so invested in it because they want to understand every single move that their team's making. And I want to get into the nuts and bolts of running the site, but but you kind of touched on something that I found pretty interesting. It's almost as if now fans of the NHL have they, they play such a bigger role because we look at you know your site general manager and, and and for stats fans you had War on Ice. There's a number of, of great sites out there, but these are fan built sites what does that say to you about the fact that it's not the nhl who releases all this salary data it's not the nhl that releases these really really in-depth stats it's up to, to fans and this isn't you know these aren't professional journalists always doing this this is like you said you were a fan yeah. and you had the means to do it so what does that say to you that that fans have really taken the lead on this kind of thing yeah, I think I think part of it is, and I kind of went naively into it thinking, hey, I'll build a site and then it'll be there and I won't have to do much with it. But it's a lot of work. It's like I'm spending almost all day on it um, and all my free time kind of goes to it. But that's because I love it. And so I think that's part of the reason that you don't see an official source kind of doing this because it is a big investment. It's a big resource investment. And I think with any sort of big organization like the NHL or like any other big organization, there's it's hard to kind of invest the resources and the time and, and the money to developing something like this. I think in an ideal world, the NHL and the NHLPA probably want to get something like this at, at some point in the future. I think it's going to take some time and I think it's probably going to take getting them both on the same page to do it. Um, but yeah, I think that's the primary reason we see fans do it. It's the same reason we see fans do the analytics sites the best. The NHL obviously has an offering, but the analytics sites done by fans are much better because they're the ones that are really invested into the sport and they're the ones that spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to build it out, trying to make it better. And so I think that's that's why we see those as the leaders. So if, if you don't mind me asking, is this something that you are doing full-time now? Is, is General Fanager kind of, I guess, running itself like a self-sustaining thing? or It's not. So no. um, it's uh, for a long time, it's kind of operated at a loss. Okay. Um, and so I've been running it out of kind of just my own motivation and the fact that I love doing it. Um, and that's been enough for me to kind of keep going with it. Um, but it's important to me to kind of build it out in a way that it'll, it will be profitable and I can build it out with more people and, and more resources so that the site can continue to get better and uh, I'm not dropping it at the, at the site of someone potentially wanting to hire me at, for a team or something like that. That's not the end goal and I think ideally I want to make the site as good as I can. So the end goal is to, to make it profitable, but that will take some work. 
Well, and I understand that you have uh, had offers to have ads on the site and things like that, and you've you sort of mulled that over. Uh, how do you how do you make that decision? And and because obviously there is a, is tremendous demand. Like if if people are hearing the general managers operating at a loss, like they they might be shocked in a way just because they they understand that the demand is there on a on a hourly basis, right? Yeah. So for for quite some time we had ads on the site, um, and they were making a reasonable amount of money and almost covering our costs. Um, some months we actually came out ahead, but it wasn't often. Um, but we've taken those ads down. We, we've kind of identified uh, that that's probably not gonna be the main revenue source and not what's gonna make the site profitable. So we're exploring other ways to do that. Um, but yeah, so at some point in the future, we may add the advertisements back, but at this point we've kind of taken them down and we'll see what the next step there is. So I've got another big picture question for you, and and I think what uh, happens a lot in the in the from the media uh, during the Stanley Cup final and afterward, and maybe at the beginning of the next season, is what did we learn from the Stanley Cup final? Uh, is there a rubric set now for how to be a successful team? And you know we hear a lot about how. Chicago bumps up against the salary cap. We heard a lot this year about how Tampa Bay is bumping up against the salary cap. Is there is there a way much like, you know, maybe a writer in the media might say, look at the 2007 Anaheim Ducks. This is how, you know, the 2007-2008 teams are going to try to build themselves as. Uh, do, you, do you recognize patterns in terms of a team salary cap and say, this is how a winning team behaves, this is how a, a team that expects to go deep in the playoffs behaves financially and that kind of thing? Yeah, so I've done a fair bit of work in terms of analyzing the patterns. Um, I've done some stuff around sort of allocation of the cap. Um, and I guess the, the early results of that, and it still needs more work, is that um, there isn't really a recipe. Um, you can you can win in many different ways in terms of your salary cap distribution. So if you look at like the first rendition of this, this Blackhawks dynasty, if you want to call them that, in 2009, 10, um, they had three players making over $5 million. Um, and as and that was a very young team. A lot of their guys were still on entry level or bridge deals. And after they won that cup, a lot of those guys got paid. Um, and so they went from three guys making over five million to six in their following run and seven in the, the run after that. Um, so what the Hawks have shown is that you can win early before all your players kind of get paid. It's less likely, but once they do, you kind of have to commit to a core and then build around it with players that are either on entry level deals or on bargain sort of minimum salary type deals and work that way. Uh, Pittsburgh very much had that same system this year. Um, they had, I think, seven or eight guys that were making over $5 million. Um, and around them, they had to build it out in terms of lower paid guys. So I think it really depends on how early in your stage of rebuilding your team that team can win the cup. The Hawks obviously did it early and then did it often after they kind of adjusted. Um, but then you look at a team like Boston who, who won one cup and looked like they were destined to, to kind of be that dynasty. Uh, they lost in another cup final, but then they kind of had to tear it all apart. And I think the, the reason for that was because they committed to too much of a core. They signed too many guys to four plus million dollar deals and then couldn't build a team around it. Uh, they also ran into trouble with bonus overages and stuff like that. But I think the, the key is to kind of identify your core, the, the guys that you need to, to continue being successful and then build around them with less expensive guys. You mentioned uh, like bonuses and that kind of thing. 
Is that something that's difficult for you to find out? Because I think when we hear, when fans hear about a new contract or, you know, a new signing, you see the AAV and, and, and you kind of take that for what it's worth. But then there's a lot of, you know, signing bonuses and, and, and a lot of other th- numbers that go into it. Is that kind of information hard for you to find? Yeah, it's, it's definitely more difficult than, than the standard information, like your base salary and your signing bonus and that type of info. Um, but it's getting better. Like we've we've managed to, to work with a number of sources that have started to give us that information more freely. It's it's most difficult on entry level deals because there's so many of them signed in a year, and then every not everyone, but a lot of them have bonuses that are dependent on performance, and you don't always know what those are because it's hard to get for every single player. And so at the end of the season, it's hard to kind of keep track of who hit what bonuses because you don't have all the details. But I think that's getting better. Um, the the people in the industry kind of I understand that it's not really it doesn't really need to be top secret information and, and they're more willing to share it um, but it is a lot of work to kind of track down the bonuses for every single rookie player so we're talking to Tom Parashka the creator of generalfanager.com we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to look at some of the most common mistakes that GMs are making today This podcast is brought to you by Homestand Sports, sponsoring this podcast since episode one. And if you're interested in sponsoring this podcast right here in this exact spot, give us a call and contact us at homestandsports.com. We're talking with Tom Parashka of GeneralFanager.com. And again, if, if anybody out there listening has not checked out General Fanager, which I highly doubt anybody listening. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, if anybody listening hasn't checked out General Fanager, I encourage you to do so. You are going to learn a lot more, not just about your favorite team, but just how important the salary cap is in the NHL right now. And and obviously talking about that, um, we're a few weeks past July 1. Uh, which is, if, if you're a fan of, of of players getting fair deals or, or your team signing players for, for fair value, it's got to be one of the most frustrating days on the calendar. Um, we saw a lot of guys get big contracts. A lot of guys we were talking before the break, uh, a lot of guys on the wrong side of 30 were, were looking at our David Baxes and our, our Andrew Lads. Um, so... So let's think about July 1 and and the other days of the year as well. What, in your mind, are some of the most common and also avoidable mistakes that the GMs in the NHL make? And, and what are what are these deals and, and signings? What do these deals look like to you? Yeah, so I think the, the things that come back to bite these GMs the most are, are the moves they make on the kind of circus days of the calendar. So like your trade deadline and your July one, um, where you're kind of in a, in an auction, like Joe mentioned earlier, you're, you're fighting against 29 other GMs to get the same guy and to improve and become better. And you're making these moves partially to improve your own team, but to prevent another team from improving as well. So I think those are the days you see the the worst kind of moves. I think on the trade deadline, you you see a lot of guys get a lot of high picks move for guys that are rentals. Like you look at someone like Chris Russell, who at the deadline was moved for some pretty a pretty substantial package, and now he doesn't even have a home. Um, I'm sure he'll sign somewhere, but um, the fact that he he got moved for the the amount he did is um, 
is an indication of the price that you pay for those crazy days. Um, but yeah, I think on July 1, you see a lot of moves that I think are the worst part about them is the term. I've talked to a lot of people and that complete these deals or guys that work for these teams that are happy they got the player, happy they got him at the price they did, but are very uncomfortable with the the term, but knew they had to do it to, to get it done. Um, and so that term is kind of what often bites these guys later because that AAV or the cap hit might not be that bad in season one, season two, or season three, but in four, five, six, seven, the, that's when it gets dangerous. And uh, depending on if, like we've seen a flat cap in the recent years, if that cap continues to kind of stay flat, that's when you get in a lot of trouble because you can't add as this player is kind of declining. I'm going to use the L word, lockout. <laughs> Tom, are we headed to a lockout? Uh, it, there's a lot of indications that seem that way. Like a, you hear a lot about players kind of unhappy with the escrow system. That I think might be the biggest gripe on the player side. Well, and maybe I should I'd back up and, and, and maybe uh, give uh, the listeners some context. I guess what I mean is, is um, uh, are we headed to a lockout and with the talk about uh, signing bonuses um, being the impetus for another potential lockout. Uh, what, what do people need to know that they, that they don't already? Uh, how are contracts structured a little differently? And, and is, this, is this sort of maybe the greatest um, contributor to a, a potential lockout? Sure. So, so yeah. So, like I said, the escrow thing is probably the thing that I, I think the PA and the players have the most issue with. And what that's doing is probably causing them to prepare for the lockout. And so what you see is these deals that either have what we call buyout protection or lockout protection. So I'll just kind of explain the difference between the two. So um, the current CBA um, is in effect until September 2022, um, but there's an opportunity to opt out by either the PA or the league in 2020. So when we talk about lockout protection, we mean that a player will build in signing bonuses into either the 2020 or the 2022 season so that even if there is a lockout, they still get paid that full signing bonus amount. And um, it decreases, if a lot of the guys are doing this, it decreases the leverage that the owners have by locking out the players and so on. Um, So we've seen a lot of deals where that's happening. Um, You see in 2019, there's no signing bonus. Suddenly in 2020, there's a signing bonus. No signing bonus in 2021. Oh, and they're back again for 2022. So that's what we call call kind of lockout protection. Um, And then there's buyout protection too, where guys will have a massive amount of their contract uh, paid out in signing bonuses. So the best example of that is the one that has the most signing bonuses of any contract currently, and that's the Stamkos deal. So he's he only makes one million dollars a year in in base salary, and then the rest is paid in signing bonuses. So that's 88 percent of his contract is signing bonus. Bonuses. So he he could literally just become a non-factor and just not be able to play hockey and he'd still be paid a crazy amount of money because they can't buy him out and take that money away from him. And we do really, really want to talk about that Stamkos deal. But first things first, to just follow up on what you said, it, does, it seems to me then that players and management across the board are kind of assuming this is going to happen as well. If they're signing these deals... It sounds almost inevitable to me, and it sounds like both the players and management have accepted a, a lockout in, so I guess, 2022 as a foregone conclusion. Yeah, like a, either 2020 or 2022. Um, but yeah, like the smoke is there. It kind of seems like that might happen. Um, 
but but you never know. It could be these guys just kind of safeguarding against it. A lot of these guys have already been through one or two lockouts and they've had the effect of of not having any salary in those years. And so they, they, they feel the need to protect themselves in case of that. So it could be nothing, but um, all indications kind of suggest that everyone's kind of gearing up for it and it could be a real situation. You know, Tom, I, uh, I heard you talking on the... Uh uh, Steve Dangle podcast about the Datsuk trade. And I, I really thought that that story was interesting. Um, do you, do you find, uh, yourself, you know, uh, when, when you see, a, a, when a team has a problem or there's a rumor about a trade or any kind of movement, are you starting to, to be a little predictive with, ha- with what happens? And, and I wonder if you could walk us through the, the Datsuk thing, because, uh, I was listening to, uh, that podcast and, and you talked about all about Datsuk and the Red Wings and the Coyotes. And I looked at the date and I was like, this is, this is well before the trade. So, so uh, I wonder if you could uh, sort of recall what happened there and, and uh, what your thoughts were. And, and if in general, otherwise that you, um, uh, you know, if, if you hear a rumor, can you be able to say like, oh, I, these are the three teams or, or whatever the case that, that are the best fit for this trade? Yeah, so so when I kind of see either a deal go down or a rumor come out, part of like what I really enjoy about hockey and, and about being running general manager is analyzing every one of these moves. I would be doing it as a fan, but now that I'm kind of running the site, I, I kind of have a little bit of a voice to share that and, and uh, tell other people about kind of what I think and, and what I see based on being so close to it. Um, so so the Datsuk situation was one where that kind of happened when it, the f- rumor first came out that he was leaving for the KHL. Um, everyone that I could find was writing about how the, the Red Wings were screwed and, and they, they wouldn't be able to get out of this massive cap hit and there's no way they could get around it. And the first thing I kind of thought of was, hold on a second, this can't be right. Um, there's been so many deals of guys like you look at your Pronger you look at your Savard the fact that David Clarkson was traded like there's there's ways that guys are finding to move these guys and when I looked at Datsuk if he's leaving for the KHL he's not going to be paid his NHL salary so you effectively by having this cap hit maintained on the books but not having to pay him anything you could trade him to a team that knows they're not going to be competitive that year knows they're a budget team and would rather sort of get to the floor kind of this way that is goes around things and kind of uh, jump up the floor without having to pay anything I thought it was probably a move that wouldn't cost them much and that's kind of what happened um, I think Arizona probably was kind of playing hardball with the Red Wings at first, but when they saw that Jacob Chikrin was available at that pick, they kind of swallowed the bullet and just took it because they wanted the player and they knew that Datsuk was advantageous to them. Well, and, and do you have a, uh, an opinion about who won the trade? Because we all saw uh, Ken Holland uh, looking at his phone right after the deal and laughing about something. It could have been, you know, a text message from his wife, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, he was chuckling to himself and, and we're all sitting there thinking, you know, how fortunate the Red Wings are. But, but do you see a winner, loser in that situation? Yeah, so I, I think the general consensus is that the Red Wings made out like bandits. I don't, tip, I don't generally agree with that. Um, 
I like I said from the beginning, I didn't think Datsuke was going to be that hard to move. I I actually threw out the idea if the Coyotes don't want him, hey, maybe you send him to New Jersey, and then they split the cap hit with someone like Carolina with some retained salary in there. Like, there's a lot. There's not a lot, but three to five teams that all know they're probably not going to be competitive this year, and they would rather get some free cap hit than have to pay for it. So I didn't think that the Red Wings would have to pay that much for it, and so I think I think both teams did well in it I, I think Detroit paid less in terms of a premium to move a big cap hit but I think part of the reason for that was because you're owed zero dollars to Pavel Datsuk so I think it helps the Coyotes like we've seen in some of their other moves that they they are clearly a budget team they're with Shane Doan's contract they're deferring a lot of the bonuses so they're showing that they they don't really want to pay a lot this season and by bringing in Datsuk raising the floor for themselves they they kind of did that so I think I, I think it's a decent trade for both sides. Tom, you touched on something, and, and I want to get your opinion on it because a few months ago when the Johansson-Seth Jones deal went down, people across the board were just so elated because it was, a, as they call a hockey deal. It was a one-for-one deal, and, and salary wasn't really such a big factor into it. You were talking about how, you know, with, with the Datsu contract, maybe you move it to New Jersey and you split, you know, the, the contract with, with other GMs. I guess I got want to know with a move like that with these salary cap minded deals where there's very little about the on ice, you know, product involved. From what you've learned, are GMs making those deals or are there specific guys, you know, on NHL teams that are prone to say, "Listen, this is not a hockey deal. This is this is a deal with financial ramifications. Let me take care of this." What have you learned about like who actually makes salary cap minded deals? Deals? Yeah, I think ultimately it's it's always the GM that makes the deal and pulls the trigger. They they're the ones that are going to be hung if it doesn't work out or praised if it does. So I think they ultimately get the call. But there's I'm pretty sure every team has a capologist, and a lot of teams now are hiring guys that consult for them either from an analytics standpoint or from a cap standpoint. And I think a lot of those guys are identifying the types of moves they should make to give them more cap flexibility and making suggestions of what about how those moves could be made so maybe there was someone that suggested Pavel Datsuk should be traded and don't expect to give a lot because you shouldn't have to and here are the teams that might be interested in them I'm sure there was that sort of advice these guys have teams and then they their guys are intelligent and there's guys that focus specifically on the cap so I'm sure those are the guys that kind of motivate these deals but I think the GM is the one that has to live with it and pull the trigger so we had some news today uh brad richards retired from the nhl and one of uh, your tweets that came out uh noted how much total earnings that he had over the course of his career of course it was an exorbitant number i'm wondering do you know or, or is there a resource um that you have whether it's on the site or or otherwise uh where you know who some of the most well-paid players are in history like is there a list yeah so so we're kind of still working on that there's we're kind of building out all our historical contracts there's other sites that have that sort of information and haven't don't have all the latest information so we're trying to work with them to kind of get all the historical data cap geek obviously had a lot of it um, but there's still some that they didn't Um, based on what we've been able to tell and um, the the 
kind of the highest earning player that we know of is Yarmer Yager, and he continues to kind of build out these deals that structure for higher performance bonuses. And so he he's made good money in the NHL. And then you consider the factor that he was in the KHL, probably making even better money for a few years. Um, I think he's probably your top earner. Um, and then we, when Vinny LeCavalier retired, we also sent out his numbers, and they were pretty big. Um, I think he's probably right up there as well. Uh, Richards obviously had a little bit of a shorter career with just 15 seasons, but uh, the fact that he got bought out that extended his payout. So, so I think he's probably up there as well. But yeah, we're we're kind of working on that. Eventually, we'll probably have something like that. And uh, just a quick game for uh, let's say all three of us. I like to play the jersey game uh, without thinking and just reacting on the spot. Uh, when you think Brad Richards, what jersey do you see him in? The Rangers. I, I, I don't know why. Um, perhaps because Maybe I... It's his, uh, his contract. No, I, yeah, I was in... Um, I remember I was in uh, Korea, of all places, on July 1 that year. And, and, you know, he was the big ticket item. And I remember, you know, waking up early or late or whatever it would have been uh, to read. And, I, I you know, the, the Leafs were rumored to go after him. But he went with the Rangers. And I just kind of said, oh, that's typical, <laughs> you know, overpaying for a guy that, you know, probably didn't deserve what what he got so maybe that's just the it's it's the rangers but my, maybe i just I, I should have said glenn sather that's what i will always <laughs> associate him with yeah i was i was i the first thing i thought of was the rangers as well but my my mind immediately flipped to tampa bay right after i thought of new york but it's hard not to think of him as a ranger just because that deal was so massive i mean it was a nine-year deal and he's retiring now in year five of it so it's it's crazy and the fact that it's going to pay it pay his wages for the next 10 years is pretty crazy so I think for me, it's it's the Dallas Stars for some reason. I obviously knew about him winning the Conn Smythe with, uh, with the Lightning. Um, but I always go back to how uh, fantasy hockey, as much as um, uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's a way to sort of distance yourself from the reality of the game. What was interesting about it for me when I first got into it was now that now I have Brad Richards on my fantasy team. Now I want to watch dallas stars hockey games and that and so i found out i felt like sooner than than maybe the general fan at the time i found out about guys like louis erickson and and jamie ben and james neal who were playing alongside brad richards who was i think he had uh, a 91 point season with the stars and one with the lightning so one of his career years was with dallas as well but uh uh yeah i don't know why that terrible dallas stars jersey is what i see brad richards in are you available for like consulting work then for for fantasy hockey teams? Because I, I I won <laughs> I won last season and there's as soon as I won my league I thought now I got to defend this <laughs> now I now I, and I can't lose again. So if you if there is a team that you think I should be picking up on this year, let me know off air. Of course, I I have no idea what I'm talking about. I I put together what I thought was the best fantasy team I'd, I'd ever put together this season and I lost to a guy who was middling around sixth and didn't make any trades at the trade deadline so I yeah no idea <laughs> maybe it's John Klingberg I, I had John Klingberg dangled in front of me like right before our trade deadline in our league and, and the guy uh, who's hopefully listening he was tempting me by saying in two years he's, he's going to be at an Eric Carlson level he's going to be putting up more points than any other defenseman in the NHL and I almost believed him. And sure enough, I stayed up late and started watching 
some stars games <laughs> right um and and i'm just looking at him right now on generalfanager.com uh klingberg is under just an incredible deal right now yeah they got him at quite the bargain i mean he he had a really hot start hot start to this year and made that deal look like a huge bargain i think he tailed off a fair bit but i think that deal is going to be one they're going to be pretty happy about for quite a while 29.75 over seven years so he's earning his av is 4.25 a year i mean for a guy that you know rumors tell me he might be earning more points than any defenseman in the nhl <laughs> in the next few years uh, that's an incredible deal oh yeah and uh and no bridge for him just no. just straight into it did you want to talk about stamkos did i want to talk about stamkos <laughs> uh joe and i you know that's that's usually the first thing we start talking about when we get here into the uh the studio as it were is is Stamkos and um you know in the Tampa Bay Lightning the issue and and I'm glad you're here Tom to to kind of hopefully tell Joe why I'm right the issue that I have with the Stamkos deal while his AAV is low you know 8.5 is 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 a lot less than we thought most people thought he was going to make um, if you look right now, you know, at, at the t- at the other kind of teams or sorry, the other players that have to be signed by Tampa Bay. I mean, you look at next year, Palat, Johnson don't have contracts. Jonathan Drouin also doesn't have a contract next season. Kucherov, who I would argue is nearly as effective, um, even strength as Steven Stamkos, doesn't have a contract going into this season, nor does Nemestikov. Did the Tampa Bay Lightning kind of shoot themselves in the foot by re-signing Steven Stamkos and and for the term as well? That's my issue here. I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but I really believe in four years, maybe even less, he's not going to be worth the money that he's earning now when a lot of the guys on the team, your Kucherovs, your Palats, I think they still will. So did signing that deal come at the risk of signing some of the other players that they need to have signed? I think I think there's something to that. Um, but I think the biggest thing to kind of consider in all of this is that Steven Stamkos is 26. He's a, an unrestricted free agent before that sort of 27-year age that most guys become free agents because he had seven accrued seasons at age 26. Um, and there's not a lot of top-end unrestricted free agents that get there at the age of 26. Um, and so the fact that you're paying eight by eight and a half to a guy that's 26 years old, I think that's a lot more digestible than paying that to someone that's 30 years old or 29 or whatever it is. Um, I mean, at the end of the deal, he's only 34. That's not terrible. Um, and I think the biggest part of that deal is that um, you're we're probably going to spend that money on somebody, but by signing him to a lower contract than he probably would have got elsewhere it kind of sent a message like he's obviously a leader on that team and it sent a message to the rest of the team and now you're getting discounts on guys like Victor Hedman maybe on Vasilevsky uh, and and so on and those guys are have openly come out and said that Stamco set the sent the message we took it and we want this team to kind of stay together I think kind of trying to to Go without Stamkos is the wrong move when you're paying other guys who probably don't deserve it contracts that are in the five or six millions. Like those are the guys you should be getting rid of and not passing on a Steven Stamkos. No, I, I, I obviously if they had the opportunity to get rid of a, a Ryan Callahan who has four more years at five point eight and 
you know, Valtteri Filppula at, at two more years at, at five. Those are the are the contracts you obviously want to move. But, you know, again, I, I, I know I haven't really given you a, f- a fair chance to fight back here, Joe, but but I'm looking Tom, again. Tom's fighting it for me. He's fighting my battle for me. <laughs> right. I guess so. But, I mean, I'm looking again. Their projected cap space, 8.5 next season. Um, Kucherov, would it be that insane to, to think he gets six and a half? I, I don't think so. The, the the rest of the deals from this summer, like you look at Philip Forsberg and he's making six and that's probably your best comparable. And there's other guys that have made six plus this year. I think that's a starting number for, for Kucherov. And yeah, it's going to bite right into that eight point whatever that you have left and not leave you with much. But like I said, I think um, you need to, when you're building out a competitive team, you need to pick that core that are the guys that you think that you need to continue to win and get rid of other guys around them and replace them with younger contracts. I mean, it's not easy to move a guy like Callahan or Phil Below when they're making five plus, but if it costs you a prospect or, or a pick to move them, at least you've still got Steven Stamkos or Nikita Kucherov. So. Well, and isn't that what we were kind of saying a little bit before that, um, that, great teams have to operate right up against the cap and it means sacrificing some excellent players you could if if las vegas could could form a team that was just the players that had been let go by the chicago blackhawks since about 2009 or 10 (laughs) you'd have dustin bufflin andrew ladd you know like the list goes on and on uh the amount like uh, you gotta you gotta think that whether it's a guy like ben bishop nikita kucherov or someone else or more you know more players than that in addition um are just going to have to be sacrificed uh and th- and that that's maybe just how a a winning team operates is is um not committing to a huge core but but being right up against it the entire time yeah and i think that's what the salary cap does it it makes you forces you to make tough decisions if you want to be competitive and i think some of those tough decisions are made a little bit easier for the the lightning when they look at someone like ben bishop who's going to be an unrestricted free agent and they have vasilevsky in the pipeline um they've they've got a replacement for him kind of queued up and so they could stand to lose him and, and still continue to compete like maybe bishop's not one of your core guys anymore and and that's where you're kind of planning to lose some some of that cap hit and make some space and, and be able to accommodate the Stamkoses and the Kucherovs. It's interesting though when, when something like that that happens and, and I would think that they wouldn't want to lose Ben Bishop for nothing uh, especially with the expansion draft looming. So you know if, if you're Stevie Y and you say look I gotta move Ben Bishop every you know the other 29 or I guess now 30 other GMs are, are aware of that and they say look we know you've gotta move him you know, we know that you probably don't want to lose him for nothing. The offers aren't going to be what they would have been a year, two years ago. That being said, if, if there's anybody that could pull it off, clearly, it's Stevie <laughs> Y. Uh, you touched on Las Vegas. You've got a fantastic tool on your site uh, that allows fans to kind of have their own mock draft and 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 protect players and see what players are protected and and kind of it's just it's a great expansion tool to, so we get a better understanding of what this new Las Vegas team is up against because as we know the last time the NHL expanded there wasn't a salary cap so it'll be a much different kind of landscape this time around um first things first when you heard the news i mean obviously the vegas thing had been somewhat confirmed for a long time but how do you think this las vegas team and george mcphee especially is going to operate given that you know the contracts are going to play such a 
probably I would think a much bigger role than than the on ice kind of capabilities of of players that they're going to draft. Yeah, so when I kind of look at what guys are going to be protected and and what guys will probably be kind of left for picking from the teams and and I kind of do that in the sense of also kind of looking at what the the general consensus is from people that have used the tool so I kind of look in the back end to see who people are protecting and picking Um, you kind of see some fairly top end talent kind of getting selected who are on bad deals or the fact that most teams will either protect three defensemen or four at the most um, depending on how they kind of line up their their protect list, there's going to be some pretty good young or guy, young defensemen or guys that are kind of on middle of the road kind of uh, contracts that might not be the best for the team, so they'll expose them. So I think Las, Las Vegas has the chance to be competitive. I think they've got a pretty pretty good opportunity to kind of pick a team that can compete for a playoff spot. Um, I think it's going to be a challenge to do so. Um, there's going to be a balance of kind of picking the young players who are of more value because they have more potential and a balance of picking guys who can immediately kind of step in, make you a team that can compete because there's the importance importance of kind of being successful out of the gate for any expansion team. But I think they're equipped much better than any expansion team in the past. So, Well, and and off the the Vegas thing, uh, the tool is 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 so intriguing. It's going to be a conversation for the entire season, uh, and and the tool is is sort of an expression of that. Well, and it, it also it also sort of uh, was uh, preceded by the draft tool, which we all saw, which was you know being able to project who was going to win the lottery and what the chances were. It was something that people ate up, and I can only imagine that this is something that's been very popular. Do you? Uh, have any other um, uh, ideas for the site going forward, whether it's tools, whether it's portions of the website that don't exist yet um, that you can talk about at all? Uh, and and where do you think the, the site can go in the future and what value it has? Sure, yeah. So... Um First of all, with the expansion tool, we've we've seen some great sort of reaction to it. I, I built it because uh, the information started to leak out and a source came to us with, with some of the official information. I was like, hey, maybe I'll try to build this. And I had a lot of fun doing it. I didn't sleep a lot that week, but I built it and launched it. And um, I, I expected a little bit of uh, reaction to it and, and the sort of hardcore fans to really enjoy it. But it seemed like everybody that followed us and everybody who didn't follow us even was loving the tool. And, and using it and the the traffic we kind of saw on it was incredibly surprising and um, like having played with the tool before I launched it I knew how much of an investment it was I mean you're picking a protect list for 30 different teams you're mulling over the decisions and then you're mulling over the decision of who to draft for that Vegas team so I mean it's it's like a two hour commitment probably right. to do it right <laughs> um, so the fact that people are doing it is it surprises me but it kind of shows that that awesome fandom and um, all the fans that we have so um, first the kind of first early goals for the site this this summer are to kind of build on that tool we're going to build some features in terms of like being able to save uh, your rosters and being able to kind of see who other people pick are picking and that sort of stuff to kind of help inform your decisions maybe if you don't know a team well um, so those are some short-term kind of goals but then we also have a bunch of longer term goals we've been talking about kind of building out an armchair gm feature that cap geek had for the longest time uh, sorry to those who have kind of been begging for it it will come at some point um, we're getting much closer especially like a lot of the code that that the expansion tool uses was 
pulling from the armchair GM tool that we were building. So if that's a helpful sign, it's coming. Um, so that that's one of the things. And then we're looking to branch out a little bit. I think um, analytics is getting really important in the sport. And I think um, we'd like to kind of implement a, a little bit more on that side be able to see how guys are, are being paid in comparison to their performance. So there's going to be some of that. And then uh, there's a lot, uh, the, the roadmap's kind of really big and I have a lot of kind of dreams for the site, but um, yeah, I, I'm mostly just one person working on it. So, so it requires a little bit of patience. I'm, a, I'm probably more anxious than anyone else for the tools that I'm working on, but yeah. For those, <clears throat> excuse me, who don't know um, the armchair GM feature could you tell us a little bit more about that yeah so what cap geek had was it was basically a tool where you could take any nhl team as built and sort of start to make some trades and and um signings and that sort of stuff uh to kind of build out that team and see how those trades and transactions affected the cap and whether you could still make it work so that's something that that we plan to launch hopefully pretty soon we've got to go back to vegas (laughs) (laughs) joe and i were talking about this the other day uh yay or nay Rick Nash goes first overall in the expansion draft. <laughs> uh, I, I still don't really know if we're going to get a sense of uh, first overall or second. I think it'll probably be a full list of thirty players that we that probably gets released in some sense, or or uh, hopefully they capitalize on it and kind of build it into a show where they announce each pick individually. That'd be pretty cool to see. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see him going there. I mean, in it's probably in the Rangers' interest to kind of expose that big contract and and move on from Rick Nash and build out past their younger core guys like JT Miller and those guys kind of build around those guys instead of your your Rick Nash um, and he, he seems like a great sort of solution for a team that wants to be competitive knows they need to hit a certain percentage of the cap so through the draft you need to get at least 60% of the cap drafted um, so he's going to be the type of player that that uh, helps you get there and what we've seen in sort of the this the stats of looking at well, who people are drafting rick nash is one of the top guys that people are drafting for vegas so tom we'll end off with a couple of rapid fire questions here uh, in terms of a trade or a signing this past season uh what was one that really got your uh your brain activity going uh and maybe one that that uh that fans or the general fan might have uh, missed a detail about yeah so <laughs> Um, the there's the Leafs were probably the the ones that fa- we found most interesting, um, and so uh, there's probably two that come to mind, and and we've talked about them pretty extensively. So most people have probably ar- already heard it from us, but uh, the Jared Cowan one was particular particularly interesting, and and part of the reason it was so interesting was because we kind of tweeted about the fact that Jared Cowan had a um, cap credit if he was bought out prior to the trade, and then we saw him get traded, and which made it incredibly interesting for us um and then uh as part of that the the other interesting part there was that matt fratton was sent to ottawa um but then returned and played for the the toronto marlies who were a very competitive ahl team and probably didn't want to lose matt fratton but what that kind of did was when you looked at it he was getting traded to ottawa so he was taken off of the Leafs 50 contract count, but he was still playing where he was playing previously. So most likely the Leafs were paying his salary, but managed to find a way around the 50 contract limit. So those, those kind of things are really interesting. It's kind of ways that you see guys are thinking out of the box and that's, that's what makes this stuff most exciting to me. You've no doubt been asked this a few times, best and worst contracts in the NHL right now. (laughs) 
Uh, I've been asked a few times, but it's it's honestly hard to say. Like I uh, I don't find I don't consider myself a critic of contracts to be honest with you. So you're probably not going to get the type of answer you want from me. <laughs> um, like when I look at the deals, I, I honestly like at, at one point they all just become a blur. But secondly, <laughs> it's like these guys are getting signed at market rate. Like there's not a lot of guys that get signed, and, and no one else would have paid them that. There's always almost always another guy in the league that would have paid them that. So it's hard to kind of fault the player for it or or the gm the, the those deals definitely come back and bite them but but yeah that's that's kind of my way around that question there uh you obviously have a variety not not only just not only a variety but a, just a large number of sources that you use to uh to get your information but you must also have a large variety what are some of the strangest phone calls or uh, correspondence <laughs> that you've gotten from people uh giving you information yeah, I've I've probably you've probably heard this already. I've mentioned it before, but um, the the strangest instance of any sort of contract confirmation that I've had was um, a email from a, a player's family member that told us that we had missed a, a sort of a guaranteed salary on his contract, um, and we saw the last name match the player, but we were like, "What's the likelihood that I'm actually getting an email from a family member?" So I was like, "Hey, could you provide a source?" And the the family member responded hey do you have a fax machine and i didn't but i figured hey why not just sign up for one so i signed up for one of those online fax services and <laughs> and moments later i got a faxed copy of his contract with the details that he was trying to get me to fix so that was really bizarre it was kind of a moment where i realized that it's not just the crazy fans that are using this site it's the, the people who are impacted by these deals the, the players their families and all these guys that kind of also want a sense like they obviously hire agents to handle most of this but they also want a sense of like what am i worth i i've played with x guy for so many years i see him now i, I still consider myself a better player than him i should be making more than that so it's it was really bizarre to see but kind of fun so if anybody out there wants to develop their own site and, and develop a loyal following i guess step one is get a fax machine yes and get a yes. critical know, to the yeah. operation uh the last one i'm gonna ask you again is a little bit off board but but i'm a fan of these kind of long-term uh predi predictions um he's got two years left on his entry-level deal um there's rumors of him being made the captain this year going into his second season in the nhl what do you project that connor mcdavid will make in his first i guess actual nhl contract yeah it's hard to say like, i don't know the player himself but you see a lot of these guys after they they kind of leave their entry-level deal you look, look at a guy like john tavares he probably could have stood to make a lot more than he did on his second contract but he's a bargain at what he's at now um but I think with with McDavid, it's it's going to be hard to kind of make that case. Um, I know he has his representation is probably looking for the most they can get out of it. Um, it'll be hard to make a case that he shouldn't be the highest paid player in the NHL. But at the same time, I'm sure he kind of looks around him, sees that a guy like Taylor Hall was just traded, um, sees all these other young players that are fantastic players and probably growing into really great players at the same time as him and probably understands that it's in his best interest to kind of accept something that's lower than what what he deserves um i, I think the the number i kind of have in mind for him is probably 9.7 uh, we see a lot of these guys <laughs> sign with their jersey number for how long well i i think you sign him for as long as you can yeah um 
but yeah, that's that's kind of the number I have just projected, and it's not based on anything, but but the fact that a lot of these NHL players like to sign for their jersey number. Tom, we have to thank you for uh, for spending so much time with us. Uh, it's endlessly fascinating, and uh, uh, like I said, I've I've heard you on other podcasts as well, but uh, but there's there's. Uh, endless number of questions and i think what ultimately is is so fascinating about general manager is that it's it's added a and, and of course cap geek before that has added a, a another layer uh, of conversation around the game of hockey and i think uh that maybe sometimes uh, uh talking about a sport can can get stale uh, i don't want to say that too loudly because i <laughs> work in the business but uh but you know i think everyone appreciates when you can when you can really add some value and really add another layer to the onion that is talking about hockey i guess my last question will be um prior to general manager uh who were who were some inspirations and i know cap geek was one uh who were some people that you really thought thought outside of the box and 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 sort of added to the the conversation around hockey yeah so obviously cap geek was one and was particularly interesting to me because i i i kind of love the the financial side of the game and um i mean a lot of us kind of grow up and uh when we realize we have no business playing the game we decide we want to be gms and um there's only 30 of those guys in the world so most of us try to do it vicariously through through these guys that do get to do it so that matthew the way he kind of innovated and built out a site like no one else had um he had all these ideas before anyone else did and and he kind of built that out so i think he's the biggest inspiration i mean he probably had so many ideas that he was still yet to kind of build out that I'm starting to think of and other sites are starting to think of and we're so behind where he was that I think we're still playing a little bit of catch up but he was awesome at that um, other guys like you look at um, like your Delos and the guys at War on Ice and all those guys who have done analytics so well and um, not all those guys kind of had a background in, in web development or anything like that but they found a way to kind of build out these sites that brought amazing information to people in a way that was accessible and um, kind of brought a different way to look at things. I, I mean, I don't have that kind of mind to, to develop algorithms and, and new stats, and maybe one day I, I will get into some stuff like that, but um, those are the guys that, that really impress me because they're kind of changing the way we look at the game, and I think there's so much room for hockey to grow in that sense, so it's, it's awesome to watch those guys and what they do. I would argue that General Fanager is one of those sites that is helping hockey grow. Tom, thanks so much for coming in here today. Thanks very much, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again to everybody listening to and thanks to, to Kevin of Homestand for, for subbing in for producer Miles. And uh, again, if you haven't yet, uh, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Check out Homestand Sports for the latest info on the next Puck Talks coming up soon. Uh, Joe, it's not so hot outside. We're going to be okay? Uh, I've settled down now. Uh, the subway is not so bad anymore. Okay. Well, Joe settled down, so on that we're going to go. Thanks for listening, everyone. 